to grow on the go. That's an important thing to say. And uh, I'm here in the blanket fort with my older daughter, Kendall, today. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm glad you're here. And I really wanted you to come and uh, have a little chat with me with Mother's Day just a few days away um, because um, you've you've had a lot of uh, mothering challenges in the last little while. (laughs) It's been an adventure. It has been an adventure. Uh, my listeners has, have heard me gush about Jude, who's two and a half, because I look after him once a week, and it's the highlight of my week most of the time. Um, but they haven't heard me talk a lot about Ellie. So tell us what life has been like for you since learning you were expecting her. Um, we we were thrilled to find out we were expecting her. Um, God's timing is beautiful, and uh, with teaching... Uh, Ellie was born in September as well as Jude, and so it's just perfect with the timing of school, and so that was really wonderful. And um, it, it meant you had a whole year off, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I get the full school year off. I don't have to interrupt the year or leave early or anything like that, and it just mm-hmm. feels very complete. With the school year, it means I get the summer off for my last trimester, and um, yeah, it's just been kind of wonderful timing, which was awesome. Um, I mean, being pregnant during covid is no joke and uh, particularly teaching while pregnant during COVID was everybody knows kids are just little you know petri dishes yeah well that and then uh, I mean kids really struggled Um, I'm I know a lot of them are still really struggling with COVID and with uh, lockdowns and you know I, I think of one of my kids who was able to do hockey for two weeks and then his coach got COVID and they all had to quarantine they were back for I think one practice and then the government shut everything down and he lost hockey which was his major outlet Aww. you know and and so of course those kids are struggling and they're angry and so definitely had the toughest um year of teaching I've ever had with the hardest crew and COVID and um not being able to do teaching like I like and then being pregnant on top of that was complicated because <laughs> um, you're exhausted oh yeah just tired and 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 you're you're teaching online some of the time and sometimes online and live yeah yeah I had a, a season where I was teaching half my class online and half in person and it was <sighs> just madness and so it uh yeah all sorts of interesting challenges there um but um at our 20 week scan um, we learned that Ellie uh, had a um, had a cleft lip and palate, so that um, started quite a complex season of um, tons of appointments. Um, what we thought was just lip, or maybe a little bit of hard palate, turned into um, a complete cleft. Um, so all the way through her lip, her alveolar ridge, through the hard palate, soft palate. Um, so the, the ridge is what the th- the part that your teeth come out of. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's all the way through front to back. Um, and so, you know, that that started an onslaught of a ton of appointments. Um, we had we ended up with 12 ultrasounds throughout the pregnancy. Um, we had three doctors within a two week span ask if we wanted to terminate the pregnancy, which just just wrecked me wrecked me I mean particularly because cleft lip and palate is completely fixable it's mm-hmm. and as I said to the first um, ultrasound tech who told us 
you know, this isn't life ending and it's not severely life altering. It's life altering. It's going to yeah. change oh, our world, sure. yeah. but it's not severely life altering. I'm not operating with a child with, you know, severe physical or mental um, disabilities who, you know, long term will have to live with me forever. Like we're talking about something that's repairable through surgery. Mm -hmm. It's just a bit of a medical adventure. <laughs> and well, so and really, really challenging early on in ways that people who have never known a cleft palate child would never guess. I would never have guessed. Yeah. Well, and it, it's more common than I realized. It's one in 700. So, oh, um, wow. yeah, so it's super common, um, more, more common in Caucasian um, families. And so, um, it's one in six or one in, or one in five or one in 600 in Caucasians. And so, um, it's really, really common. Now that's not necessarily complete clefts that involves just the lip or just the palate. But or... still, there's all these people wandering around with repaired cleft lips that nobody ever notices. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whether they're minor or major. And, um, yeah. And so that was a whole gamut of, um, you know, meeting with the geneticist and, um, we in Calgary have an incredible cleft palate um, team. We've got one of four compre comprehensive clinics in the country. And so all the professionals work together within the children's hospital. And so we met with them and um, yeah, it just, it, it changed, it changed a lot. You know, it changed obviously the medical appointments, but also uh, our plans for labor and delivery and our plans for kind of the first year of, of life for her. Um, Rather than, you know, with COVID, I was wondering if we wanted to do a home birth and that was quickly off the table, um, wanted to do a water birth and that was off the table because, you know, she can't seal off her, her airway in the same way. Um, yeah. So just complications like that, mm. that um, made life a lot more challenging. I ended up with a, a complication that can be a part of cleft lip and palate. So one thing I didn't know is that babies are the ones who control the amount of amniotic fluid instead of my body. Because I thought they, I was in control. Because they drink it, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. it has to do with how their their bodies process mm -hmm. it. And um, with cleft babies, they go to swallow the amniotic fluid and comes out their nose because it's all connected. Right. And so you can end up with a polyhydraminose, so too much amniotic fluid. And so by the end of my pregnancy, uh, when I was overdue, I had more amniotic fluid than most women have at the peak of their pregnancy, um, which then carries risks of if, if the uh, water ruptures, you can have um, a, a limb come out first, <laughs> a slide out, or um, you can end up with the cord prolapsing as well, which is a, a very um, big emergency. So yeah, it just became a lot more of an intensive um pregnancy and, and well and also because you had so much fluid um her head wasn't engaging properly yeah, right yeah. so She's... how long was your labor oh forever <laughs> like it was days yeah according to the hospital it was 45 minutes <laughs> but <laughs> that's um, active labor yeah well yeah mm. that's active labor or but transition maybe even yeah so but um we were induced saturday at uh i think by the time we were induced 4 p.m and she was born monday at 9, uh, 9.45 p.m. Or 9.45 a.m. And you were so. having contractions that whole time. Yep. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> it was an adventure. And you weren't allowed to come home? No, because I was high risk because if the water ruptured. Um, right. And there was prolapse. So, and they couldn't break my water until her head was low enough because of the, the prolapse risk. And so we had to get her down. And then she tried to come down nose first. And so we had to back her up, which is a whole... <laughs> 
<laughs> wild process of doing like ridiculous hospital yoga well, thank, as a forty-one you're, pregnant woman. You're a, you're a gymnast, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> it would have been more challenging for a lot of other people. I'm yeah, sure. it was uh, it was an adventure that I never anticipated. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so she she came, thankfully, healthy and happy, um, and she has a specialized bottle. So I, one of the things I really mourned throughout the process was um, not being able to breastfeed. Um, complete cleft babies can't breastfeed because they can't create any suction. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just the lip, you can usually get away with it. But with the complete cleft, um, there's no way to seal it off, and so they can't suck. Um, and so... That was really heartbreaking to me because it's not just a loss of, you know, it's a loss of the the, the connection and the yeah. that intimate bond of breastfeeding yes. that I loved having with my son and those cuddles and the closeness and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and the skin to skin. Yeah, really and all those lovely. pieces. But it's also the loss of the ease of breastfeeding. Not that breastfeeding is easy, but, um, you know, being able to just leave the house and know you've got everything you need to feed your kids. That's right. It's going to be the right temperature. It's going to be sterile. Totally. And like my car or wherever, it's just totally possible and totally fine. Whereas, you know, now it's do I have my pump? Do I have enough bottles for how long we're going to be out? Do I have something to warm the bottle? Do I have all the bits and pieces? And um with Ellie, she needs to use a specialized bottle. Um, it's a Dr. Brown special feeder. So it has a one-way valve on the nipple so that um, the milk ends up in the nipple and she can just chew on the nipple and it sprays it into her mouth. Or her latest trick, she takes it out of her mouth and grabs the nipple and sprays it everywhere. <laughs> so now it's an adventure of like shoving it back in her mouth before she sprays herself in the face or sprays the couch or the wall or us or whatever is <laughs> within aim. So um, yeah, so specialized bottles and... And, and then everything's got to be sterilized, the pump and the bottles and the yeah, and... Yeah, so, um, yeah. So it's just a much more complicated um, feeding journey. Well, and particularly as a newborn, right? Because the, you're, you were only allowed to feed her for 30 minutes, right? Because after that, she, she uses more calories feeding than she's gaining. Yeah, yeah. And so the, we had to find the right flow and the right... You know, she had to be at a certain angle so it didn't come out her nose and she could swallow it properly. (laughs) There was just a lot. And then, you know, and then feeding becomes functional and not a close journey. Um, It becomes, you know, I'm either pumping and feeding her at the same time, which means we're not cuddling. Or I can double the length of time and I can feed her and be close, but then I have to put her down and try and you know, keep her happy while I pump after. Which is really and, hard when you have to start it all over again in two hours because yeah. she had to feed so often. She was really struggling to get enough nutrition. Yeah, yeah, she really was. Mm. So, um, yeah, so it was just a, a journey. You know, we were in the hospital with her, meeting with the cleft team when she was two days old um, and signing paperwork for her first surgery, which, you know, in the moment wow. I was like, yeah, of course, like, yeah, tell me about the risks. Mm. Of course, yep. Yeah you know, do the thing, logical brain, sign the paper. And then we sat down for lunch after our appointments and I burst into tears going like, what did I just do? I just heard about all the risks of putting my two-day-old daughter in surgery. Um, mm. You know, it didn't happen until she was four months, but signing that paperwork was hard emotionally. You know, and then we were in the we were in the um, clinic every week, once a week for uh, six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And then it went to every two weeks um, and then back to every week as we started doing treatment at two months. Um, we did uh, lip taping and a nasal stent to start moving around all the bone structure and tissue in her face to get it prepared for surgery. Which, by the way, it's amazing what tape can do to mm-hmm. bones. 
Yeah, so our soft tissue informs our, our bone structure. And so just by pulling and moving the soft tissue, we can actually move the bone structure um, in an infant's face because... It's They're made all, out of Play-Doh. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible what the medical team has created and how uh, precise surgery and treatment is now. Hmm. Wow. So what's this whole journey taught you about, about God? Not just the cleft Ellie journey, but also your journey with Jude. Yeah, I think... Um, the there's a couple things that kind of come up the the sacrifice piece of of loving on a kid <laughs> and particularly a, a kid who has challenges mm-hmm. you know uh, pumping is is not for the faint of heart it is an exhausting long process and i'm you know at seven and a half months of it now and the goal is to get to a year but i have to remind myself that's a sacrifice that i'm making for my child and for the best of my child and you just think about that heart of god of you know, I will sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice for the sake of my child, for the best of my child, and and how that's God giving us Christ, and sacrificing Christ for our for our gain and for our our future, um, and so that we can be one with Him. I think that's that's been striking. Um, another thing is just the pure joy as a parent that you have in your child, and and well, also as a Grammy, by the way. Yeah, and <laughs> and I think just. It has really changed my view of God and the way God views us. And mm. instead of, you know, this authoritative God or just the, the rules God, but just reimagining and, and reframing my understanding of God in those moments of delight that I find just watching mm-hmm. my kids. Or, I, I read in um, uh, a book called Soul Print, I think it was by Mark Batterson, that you really don't know yourself or know God until you watch God watching you. Mm. Yeah. And I think we get an image of that as we watch our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, for those who aren't moms, as you delight in nieces and nephews mm-hmm. or, you know, um, or stepchildren or, or like, grandchildren. Yeah. Like your your mother-in-law yeah. is a beautiful, wonderful woman named Darlene, mm-hmm. who is not Mike's mom, right? Mike, yeah. Mike, Mike's mom was a dear friend of mine growing up. And she died um, when Mike was 13. Mm-hmm. And and now Dar gets to delight in being a grandma, yeah. even though she was never a mother, right? which is so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. So, you know, I think as we oh. as we watch ourselves delight in children and just the innocence and the joy and the play and the investigation, I love just watching Jude investigate things and try and figure out how things work. And, and he's so darn smart. Yeah. And, and you know, just those those pieces, it just allows me to step back and reflect and think like, wow, this is how God views me. Yeah, he just delights in me. And rather than, you know, always being disappointed in me, it's that delight. You know, you, I, I think walking is is such an over, in a lot of ways, overused image, but just the excitement and delight as a parent of going like, yes, you're taking steps. And, and there's no shame in when they fall. There's no disappointment or anger or upset it's just delight and joy watching them learn and grow and and reframing my understanding of god from you know this god who's disappointed in me or frustrated with me or Hmm. um or yeah just like oh you screwed up again but instead going like yes you're learning you're growing i delight in you Hmm. and that's been a beautiful journey of of seeing god and seeing the way that god sees me in a completely different light Mm -hmm. well your dad and I think you're an amazing parent. Thank you. You and Mike both. Tell us where your strategies come from. 
Um, I have a behavioral sciences degree and there's bits and pieces that I took from that certainly, but I think uh, my journey into becoming a teacher was where I really learned a lot about kids, about how they function, about um, I grew in my patience a whack ton. <laughs> whack ton, that's a, te- like a, a technical term. Oh yes, well, you know, I have to moderate all of my phrases for children because you never know what is an unacceptable word in homes. Crap used to be a part of my vocabulary, but then I learned that that's a swear word in some homes. And so now poop is my regular expression um, in my classroom <laughs> because nobody can tell you it's a bad thing if you say, oh, poop. Um, oh, crap isn't, you can get in trouble for it, but oh, poop is fine. Well, so, particularly your classroom, which um, so many different cultures were represented, right? Like cultures and faith backgrounds and um, a lot of, or some very conservative families. And so anyways, doesn't matter. But um yeah, just growing in patience, certainly. Uh, but I was introduced by um, one of my principals to a program called Love and Logic. And there's a lot of, I don't love absolutely everything about the program. I think we all need to find what works for our families and our kids. Um, but I think the general principle of Love and Logic, I really like. And and coming from the name, we always lead with love and empathy, followed by logic, natural consequences, um, as much as possible. And, you know, a kid can't blame on us when we lead with that love and empathy of, oh man, that's such a bummer. You made that choice. I bet you feel really sad. I would feel really sad if I was in that situation. Mm. I'm so, oh, that's such a bummer that you made that choice. And if you're leading with love and compassion and empathy, a kid can't then rail against you, um, and blame you for their choices. They have to take them on for themselves. Mm. And then following that with the natural consequences, whatever that might be. You know, I had a student um, forge um, forge a signature once. And, you know, the consequence then was we sat down and we looked at the Criminal Code of Canada and what the consequences later on were. Right. Um, you know, and, and it involved writing an apology and and describing what the consequences were in the real world in their own words and and that kind of thing. But that idea of the natural consequences in that we want to embrace mistakes in childhood because if we can embrace those as an opportunity to learn and we can leading with compassion and empathy and love then applying real life consequences they will learn from their mistakes now in an environment that's safe so that the mistakes and the consequences are small versus mistakes and consequences later that are huge yeah Yeah, absolutely so i've never heard of love and logic when i was raising you guys but i did come across a book called boundaries with kids Mm -hmm. and by townsend and cloud and um that's it's basically the same thing um i remember so the idea that you there are no emotional consequences. You, you know, you, as a kid, you know, you're not going to get yelled at. You're not going to mm-hmm. um, you're not going to have a, a parent who's so angry they won't talk to you or, or anything yeah. like that. Um, you're, you're loved on. But there's going to be a consequence that is logical mm-hmm. for what you have done. And one of the things that I remember, and I'm not sure if you remember this, I don't think Kevin does, but I could not get my little barbarians to hang up their towels after a bath or shower. <laughs> And, you know, finally, I just said, okay, if you won't hang up your towel, it's going to disappear. And you're going to have to get out of the shower or bath and drip dry or drip all your way to the linen closet to get another one. That's what's going to happen. And it did. Mm -hmm. I do recall that. (laughs) Okay. 
similar idea. So what similarities are there between love and logic and the way God parents us? I think I think that idea of God leads with love and empathy. He is love. And rather than being an angry God or a God that is there to trip you up or spite you or punish you, he he loves and out of his love comes natural consequences so that we can learn and grow. Um, and, and I think, again, reframing that, that idea of God from a God of punishment or an angry God that a lot of people view to that God who is, as I described to my students, he is the perfect parent. Mm, yeah. um, and, and in that he, he is love. And so his, his consequences, um, the, the consequences of our actions come from a place of love and empathy in uh, desiring for us to grow and learn from them instead of it just being an angry punishment. And desiring for us to be close to him. Mm -hmm. Like I think he allows sometimes really hard things to bring us to a point of realizing our only hope is him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well that's awesome. Um, you have kind of, uh, your principal actually has told me because um, I used to volunteer in your mm -hmm. classroom, um, that you have such a special way with kids with autis um, who are on the autism spectrum who have ADHD or other learning challenges. Um, tell us what's some of what maybe what are, what's some advice or some strategies that you can offer moms out there who have, have kiddos with special needs like that. I think um, one of the things that lends me towards those kids is um, is my own challenges. Um, I also have ADHD, and so that helps <laughs> because I, I get them um, in a lot of ways. But God, from the very beginning, has really put a place in my heart for kids who are tough. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that tends to be the kids who are on the autism spectrum or have ADHD or... Um, behavioral challenges. And I think, you know, one of the things I recognized early on, and I have a tattoo on my wrist, and it's part of the meaning behind it is it's a reminder that God's love has to flow through through my veins. I cannot love on these kids appropriately, including my own children, without God's love. Mm. I don't have enough. I am incapable on my own. And so going to that source of strength, going to that source of love and making sure that I am deeply connected with him so that he's filling my tank. So out of that overflow and his love flowing through my veins, I can then love other kids. Mm. And so I think reflecting on that, I think our school also talks about um, kids being a masterpiece of God and they are created in his image. And that reminder of, you know, they, they are God's creation. They are made in his image and they are beautiful and masterpieces in their own way. And so fighting in ourselves when we're frustrated to find those masterpiece elements and trying to reorient the way we view them to to God's eyes hmm. can be really helpful in those really challenging difficult moments and and finding those things that are amazing whenever I met with parents to have really hard conversations I would spend as much time as I could at the beginning of our meetings just uh, absolutely listing out every amazing wonderful thing about their child that I could you know because parents experience a lot of uh, parents of those children often hear a lot of the negative mm -hmm. um, and parents need to know we care. And I think as parents, we can do the same where we, we can, whether it's written down or a listener had every amazing thing about our child, write it down or have it stowed away somewhere so that when we're 
in challenging moments, mm, we can pull so that up good. and go, yes, these are the amazing things about my child. Yeah. Because parents often don't see the, their, their kids at their best. Oh, absolutely. Because we're a safe mm-hmm. place where kids can melt down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The kids are on all day elsewhere. And then it's actually a really positive thing attachment-wise if home is a safe enough place for kids to just let go. Yeah. And meltdown. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so hard uh, as a I just, parent. I just remember with you guys, you know, um, often you'd go off to camp and, and your camp workers would say to us, you have such amazing kids. And you weren't all that amazing at home at that time. And it was mm-hmm. like, are we, are we talking like Kendall? Kendall Carter? Are we totally. talking about the same kid? But they saw things in you that we didn't get to see at mm-hmm. home. And it was so great to hear that from other people. And so maybe that's something you can take away as a listener today is if you see somebody else's kid doing something amazing, you really need to tell their parents. Absolutely. I think that's how we support each other in a community is, you know, and and if you're in those struggling moments, I mean, I, I wouldn't be afraid to go and talk to the teacher and just say, what's amazing about my kid, right? you know, and, and find other sources if you're in a, in a tough place um, and then record them, find ways to go back to that when things are really hard mm. to give you that compassion and that different perspective. Mm-hmm. I think additionally to that, find resources. There are resources out there for um, families of kids with ADHD or with autism or and learning love and logic would be a good place to start. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and and then, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to the community. I think um, we we are not made to do this parenting journey alone. It no. takes a village to raise a child. We say that, but it's not practice in today's society. And I think we in as, our culture, in our in yeah. And I think it it takes us as parents instead of the village coming to us, we have to go find our village, and we have to um, bring people in and not feel like we have to do this on our own. Mm. You know, whether that's finding respite care so that you as a parent can go and restore yourself and come back, whether that is um, you know, the resources available in the community, whether that's really becoming a, a partner with a teacher or whatever it is to have a, a village to raise your child because we can't do it on our own, mm. particularly with children who have needs. Yeah. I heard something on the radio this week that I just thought was fantastic. It's five questions kids need to know the answer to. Mm. And the first one is, who am I? Mm-hmm. Why am I alive? Who wants me? Mm. who can I trust and what can I do well Mm. and that what can I do well kind of feeds into what we've just been talking about how as parents we don't always see what our kids do well Mm -hmm. I mean sometimes we do oh yeah but we don't always see their best behavior yeah and kids need to know that and I thought those questions were really insightful absolutely so we only have a couple minutes left not even how has being a mom changed you or what have you learned about yourself? Oh boy, um, that's <laughs> that's such a big question. I think parenthood, similar to um, marriage, just continues to throw up a mirror to show you how painfully selfish you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, sleep being one of the things I am abundantly selfish about and parenthood has put a ginormous very reflective mirror in front of my face and yet here you are podcasting during nap time oh, and the only time you could be true. napping <laughs> um but thank you yeah no but I think um yeah I think it's it's just that refinement piece of allowing God to refine me through parenthood as he has through marriage and and opening myself up to growth in the season um and 
yeah, and I think um, just re reflecting some of those tendencies that I can grow in and taking opportunity to allow my children to help me grow. Mm, I think it's so good. Yeah, it's not just about, you know, me teaching them, but man, they teach me a lot. Yeah. Well, happy Mother's Day. I thank think you. you're doing an awesome job. Thank you. I really and do. Happy Mother's Day to you. Well, thank you. So subscribe on your favorite app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, or listen anytime using the MyJoy Radio app. Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.